Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. They both come in giftable boxes with savings up to $46 and free shipping for a limited time. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Reach new career heights with University of Maryland's Robert H. Smith School of Business. Flexible MBA and MS options. GMAT and GRE not required. Learn more at go.umd.edu slash smithschool. University of Maryland Smith School of Business. Inspired, fearless, unstoppable. Celtic State of Mind Bulletin. I'm Paul John Dykes and today I'm delighted to be joined in the studio by the one and only Lawrence Conley. Welcome back to the studio, Lawrence. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, mate. You know, despite the, the, the turmoil at Celtic, I think we're happy with uh, the football Ange's given us. You know, uh, despite, despite what's going on in the, I suppose, the, the, the more professional side of things with it. CEO professional <laughs> seriously <laughs> I was struggling for a word for it there you know, know. it's kind of supposedly more professional side so we say mm. well we will be having a, a chat about that we spoke yesterday there's a quite a few points I want to cover that we didn't get a chance to cover yesterday but um, we'll also look ahead Lawrence to the big game on Thursday night it's a fairly early kickoff, quarter to six on Thursday night um, and the challenge that Real Betis will uh, pose to Ange Postacoglu's men just as we start getting back 
to winning ways at the weekend. So let's start with that because that leads us in to Thursday night. Um, and we'll also have a wee chat about various other issues uh, surrounding Celtic at the moment. Um, Barrafield, for example. Let's have a wee talk about that because I know you used to go down there as a kid and watch Celtic training. Um, and we need to also focus on our former player, Craig Bellamy, who has... Um, moved away from the game for a spell to deal with his depression. So we'll be speaking all about that. But let's start off with the game um, against Ross County. We went 3-0, fairly convincing, Lawrence. What did you take away from that that we can um, uh, use on Thursday night? Who has uh, given Ange Postecoglou a dilemma? Um, I'm thinking Montgomery. Obviously, if Taylor doesn't make it, I'm looking at Anthony Ralston stroke uh, Joseph Juranovic at right back. I'm also looking at the performance of Tommy Rogic, which wasn't great, I've got to say, against Ross County. Does he drop out? Do we bring Sorrow or McCarthy in? Quite a few questions to be answered, but we'll start off in the defence. Greg Taylor, you've been a big champion of Taylor since he signed for the club, Lawrence. Um, how do we play this on Thursday night? He's obviously had the reoccurring uh, shoulder injury. Do you go for Montgomery? who's looked pretty impressive in, in, this, in the, the few games that he's played, um, with either Juranovic or Ralston right back, or do you go for Ralston, the returning Ralston at right back, with Juranovic on the other side, as he did at Ibrox? That's a dilemma at the back. How do you deal with that? For me, kind of, Europe's secondary this season, but uh, I think I would play Montgomery at left back. He's, just, he's looked good when he's come in. We're about developing players. And at, and at right back, I, I, I probably stick with Juranovic just now. Uh, give Tony a bit of rest. We've got a lot, you know, lot of games coming up. But at least we've got options in defence now. You yeah. know, yeah. off this season. Uh, One right back. You know, could we put a, a back four together? You know, Cameron Carter-Vickers, as good a debut as, as we've seen in a while. Uh, you know, since well, at least since Kyogos. But <laughs> I, it's... Who's your centre half's going to be? You know, Starfield seems to seems to be growing into the, the role more and more. Welsh has performed well, so we've got a few options, haven't we? Which is, it wasn't looking like before we went on the, the mad spending spree and uh, brought all these players in that were obviously needed, and we're, we're probably still a few short. Yeah, we are. We definitely are, and we're running um, with a. Kind of shoestring bench, I think, uh, it's safe to say, because when you look at that bench against Ross County, um, there are players on that. I mean, Scales and Urugidi have not made a first-team appearance. They're sitting on the bench. You think to yourself, if we need to bring those players in against Ross County, then, you know, I'm fairly comfortable with that, Lawrence. Moving into Thursday night's game, you know, it's a bigger bench. We're going to have nine sitting on it. Um, and then you're starting to pluck younger players with less experience who, you know, if you were to risk a player like Taylor for example and he gets an injury you're then looking onto that inexperienced bench so that is a bit of a concern despite the fact that we brought 12 in I was I was pointing this out yesterday if you include the returning loanees we lost 15 first team players we brought 12 in so it sounds great that you're bringing all these guys in but we're still a, a few short from the personnel that we had last, last season uh, Lawrence I think on a personal level, and I'm going to bring this up because we've got to also mention uh, Liam Scales, uh, Stevie Boy. And again, this isn't a personal thing for me in relation to Liam Scales, but this isn't the game to throw in a, a, a deputant. If you've got someone like Montgomery who's got the um, experience, albeit 
very little experience in the first team. He's done well when he's played. Or, you know, alternatively, you play Juranovic supposedly out of position. Because I just think when you're a Croatian internationalist, Lawrence, with that level of experience, um, and we've seen him playing, you know, for Werder Bremen, yeah, sorry, Legia Warsaw, we know what he can do uh, at, at that level. You, you've got to, you know, you've got to have confidence that he can switch from the right to the left. We've seen him playing against Rangers, and he was comfortable there. Um, so I would, I would more than likely if Ralston's fit, I would go with Ralston at right back and Juranovic at left back, which again might might be a bit unfair on Montgomery because I was actually saying he should be playing against Rangers at Ibrox. He should start against Rangers at Ibrox. But since then, I've seen Juranovic playing at left back and I think he's solid enough to be playing there. No, listen, he's definitely got the ability to do it. But for me, it's Montgomery. I think he gives you more going forward at left back. We want to develop players and trust players, don't we? Mm-hmm. And I think Montgomery definitely looks like he's got a big future ahead of him. I agree with you. I think it's too early for scales. But I would have Juranovic at right back, Montgomery at left back. Uh, you know, if you start with Ralston and Juranovic, one picks up an injury, Tony picks up an injury, you then move Juranovic over and then throw from Montgomery in. I, I think it's just got a better balance if you going forward as well. Yeah. Montgomery gives us a bit of height, which we, we do lack of that in defence. So... Yeah, for me, it's Montgomery left-back, Juranovic right-back, centre-halves, I'd probably go with Starfield and Cameron Carter-Vickers. Carter-Vickers, um, as you say, an impressive debut, done all of the, the basic defending that we shouldn't take for granted because we haven't seen much of it done all that well in the last 12 months. Lawrence, he done all that kind of side of things. I, I was going to say effortlessly, but it, he done it naturally. Um, we want to start building a, a relationship between our two centre-halves. And I think that although Stephen Welsh will be feeling hard done by, we called it last week in the, in the run-up to the game, Stephen Welsh is going to sit it out. You're not bringing in a, a centre-half of that quality uh, and not playing him. And I, I think that, you know, as the season progresses, Tony Ralston will probably um, fall victim to that way of thinking as well. You will play Zhiranovic when he's fit. And I think you'll play Carter Vickers when he's fit. Um, it was a commanding performance. He also looked, for me, uh, very comfortable on the ball. You know, and we're going to be playing out from the back, so you've got to be comfortable. Uh, the other thing, and this is this is such a refreshing thing, Lawrence, to discuss the goalkeeper without having absolutely any doubt as to who starts and goals. Joe Hart, um, so much to like about him uh, since he's came in. Uh, none more so than making saves, which is pretty important for a goalkeeper. But that's been lacking for a while. Um, and a very important save when we were 1-0 up. Uh, we've gone up the park and scored the second goal two minutes later. Um, he is going to be pivotal. I think his experience is going to be pivotal going away to Seville on Thursday night, Lance. Aye. He, listen, he's head and shoulders above <laughs> <laughs> all the other keepers at the club. But when you watch from the game, he's talking the defence through it. You know, it's definitely the base of strong spine of the team for us, isn't it? He's, and it's just said, he's made a save. You know, we've maybe went a year without keepers that were doing those kind of saves. He made it look easy. You know, mm. he, he's anticipated what the boy's doing. He's he's went early and yeah, it's his experience that, that I've got him that. He looks comfortable enough with the ball at his feet. Uh, I don't think there's any debate that he's our number one. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, 
luckily taking that pay cut to come to us. You know, that's a huge pay cut he's coming to. Just to play football, it shows his desire. You know, he wants to achieve things in his career, he wants to win things. See the thing though, right? And you know, I'm 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 looking at the uh the TV screen at the moment they're talking about Ronaldo um, and modern football with, with the incredible wages and the transfer fees surely there comes a point though Lawrence where you know you've made enough money I mean I, I think it's great that any any professional in any walk of life makes a decision that isn't based on the salary and that's what Joe Hart's done he's made a football decision but you don't see it very often in modern football do you? No I mean you're messing tears leaving Barcelona because he didn't want to leave well take the wage cut you, you, you know, it, that, that was a choice for us to leave. You know, oh, I don't want to leave. You're in tears. Well, take the wage cut. So you, you don't see it often or, 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 and often enough. I think, you know, after Samaras was a guy that said it wasn't, you know, he could go elsewhere and earn more money, but he wanted to stay and, and win trophies. And you don't want that kind of desire. People that want to be playing, people that want to be on the park and want to be playing for Celtic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's the exact opposite of some of the outgoing players because you can talk about um, ambition and say, well, this is the level that I want to play at by going down south. But um, I think it was Jim Moore that made the point to me, if you go back 12 or 18 months ago and you look at the the type or the calibre of clubs that were interested in Christopher Iyer and Ryan Christie and Austin Edward, and you compare them to the clubs that they actually went to, then you look at this ambition um, which is almost like the default position. You know, it, part of it may be ambition, but a lot of it is down to the wages. Of course it is. You know, you you look at Chris Iyer, uh, Paolo Maldini confirmed that AC Milan were interested in him. He was a player of interest The AC Milan. He's gone to Brentford. Now, I'm not being disrespectful to Brentford because they've got a very good setup there. And that was one of the clubs that Dominic Mackay, who we'll be talking about a wee bit later, uh, benchmarked, you know, for Celtic. You know, he spoke about uh, Brentford as an example of how to run a modern football club in relation to how they bring through um, the youth and how they work the transfer market, etc. And, you know, you look at Ryan Christie, who apparently had been interested in some premiership clubs. There was also talk of him going to Sampdoria. Um, And then all of a sudden, you know, when he goes down, he goes to his childhood idols, Bournemouth. Um, You know, Arsenal, Leicester were said to be interested in Eduard, who eventually goes down to Crystal Palace. Um, now, we have started off the broadcast with an Axom logo at the bottom, but I know that everybody that's tuning in would much rather that Axom logo was replaced with Patrick McGilp. So let's invite Patrick into the stream just as soon as we all get uh, the headphones on. Um, and we'll get Patrick on and I'll reshuffle the screen um, in just a wee second. Patrick, how are you doing, sir? Not bad, not bad. Having a few Wi-Fi issues there, but I managed to get in. Not like you. It is not like you. Um, I'm going to to throw a little question over to you before I sort out the screen here. Um, And the question is, the defence, going into Thursday night, we've got a a situation where Taylor is out with a reoccurring shoulder injury, but we've got Ralston coming back. So we're left with two right-backs and young Montgomery. And of course, we've signed Liam Skills, but he's never played for the club. I feel that's a bit risky to throw anybody in if it can be helped. Lawrence wants to play Montgomery. I'm playing Juranovic out of position. How do you deal with the two full-backs, Paddy? Um, well, I'm actually quite a big Montgomery fan. Uh, I would have played him, I'd have started him against Rose County on Saturday there. I'm not sure about playing him away to Real Betis, I'll be honest. Um, 
I'd probably consider playing uh, Jovanovic at left back, like we did at Ibrox, to be honest. I thought it was, for a player out of position playing his first game for the club, I thought it was pretty good at left back, Jovanovic. Uh, and I, I, I think Montgomery's more of an attacking fullback, whereas a way to Real Betis will probably need to be doing quite a lot of defending. So I think I'm, I think I'm sticking with Jovanovic at left back. And Jovanovic at left back. Ralston at right back. Yeah. Um, again, centre halves. We've already got Lawrence's take on the centre half situation. I agree with it. Uh, I still think Stephen Welsh will be feeling hard done by because he's not done anything specifically wrong. Um, it's just that obviously the manager has an idea of strengthening the squad. He brings in a a, a player kind of last minute who has more experience than, than Stephen Welsh. He's acquitted himself really well in his debut, so you start with Carter Vickers alongside Starfelt. Is that something that uh, you have an issue with, or would you would you run with that, Patrick? Um, I, I didn't have an issue with it on Saturday there. Uh, I thought Carter Vickers was really, really impressive. Um, I'm still not really convinced by Starfelt, but he seems to be persevering with him. Um, I think he was to make, if he was to make any more mistakes... I'm not sure because he did persevere with Beaton for quite a few games and he kept on making the mistakes and eventually dropped him. So I think he's trying to persevere with Starfield because of probably because of the price tag that we spent on him, the fact he was a, a European player. Mm-hmm. Um so I think it probably will be Cameron Carter, Vickers and Starfield again on Thursday. Um I'm hoping that they can keep a clean sheet like they did on the Saturday. But um uh, yeah, I, I'm actually also quite a big fan of Stephen Welsh. I'd quite like to see him come back in. Uh, but if it's Carter, Vickers and Sarfield, I'm, I'm more than happy with that, I think. Ben, there's a, a few other questions to be asked, a few other dilemmas for the gaffer to, to face. One of these dilemmas certainly is not the striker position because we've got someone who's come in, uh, Lawrence, who is much maligned in Albiana Yeti. Um, his Celtic career has not really uh, got off to uh, a good start. I mean, one season during the the worst season in the last decade, certainly, uh, for Celtic. And he was in and out of the side. Never really looked sharp, did he? He never really looked fit. We've seen a couple of flashes where, you know, people keep saying, no, cliche, there's a player in there. Um, and he's been thrown in simply because he was the only striker we had. You know, the other option was to play a badder, uh, or Yota out of position there against uh, Ross County, so he's been thrown in there. But he's got a couple of second-half goals, which will do his confidence world, world of good. Even if Giacomakis uh, was to be fit um, for Thursday night, I think that Postacoglu, uh, you know, would run with a Yeti anyway. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. 
As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Yeah, this is what the goals. You know, what a cracking header. You know, it was a difficult header. I think when he first came in, was it four goals, five games? And then obviously fell away. Didn't look fit last season. Definitely looks a lot fitter this season. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think there's much of an option up there. I think for me it's Albion a Yeti leading the line. Mm. My, my only concern about a Yeti um, is quite a few times, Patrick, we've seen Yota, you know, making runs or, or you know, looking for someone to be into space. And there wasn't that same link-up that I think you're going to get with Kyogo. Now, we know that Kyogo is a... I, I would suggest is that he's a different level. We actually paid less money for Kyogo than we did for a Yeti. But um, I think that there is going to be an issue with with linking up um, because, you know, Abada and Yota have a very direct kind of um, style of play. And Yota, I just think he, he seemed to be a wee bit ahead in terms of his thinking um, of a Yeti. And I think that in the middle there, you've got a player in Tom Rogic who isn't a certain starter for me. I mean, what would you do with him, guys? Because he's come in after the long-haul flights. He's looked a bit jaded. Um, now, Celtic are going to have a couple of days extra to prepare for this game. You know, Betis were playing last night. They were, they were playing last night and they're playing again on Thursday. So we've got a couple of days of extra recuperation. They picked up an injury as well last night. Um, so would you stick with Rogic with no... Lawrence, that there's a relationship between Ange and Tommy Rogic. He's been playing pretty well this season. Um, but it wasn't great against Ross County. I'm putting it down to tiredness and fatigue. Listen, ho- hopefully McCarthy's fit. If McCarthy was fit, I'd maybe change it up, have McCarthy and Beaton and McGregor further forward. Uh, I think... That is a that is a bold move, Beaton. Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, defensive mid, uh, he'd do a job in there next to McCarthy. He's got... Good ball retention. And freeze McGregor. Yeah. And he, you know, McGregor is a cracking attacking player. I think he's wasted when we play him further back. So you're dropping Turnbull as well? Yeah, I think he's played his way out of the team again. And I think Rogic just looked really tired. So I, I think it'd be a more solid midfield, McCarthy and Beaton. And then McGregor playing a wee bit further forward. Interesting take there, Patrick. Now, there's a couple of wee questions I would ask. First and foremost, Beaton's not been in the squad. So I don't know if there's an unconfirmed injury to beat on because he's normally there or thereabouts. Um, if he's not injured, I certainly would expect him to be in the 20-man squad. He would be possibly on the bench because we, we really are. I mean, it was a it was a very weak um, bench that we had against Ross County, Patrick. I'm guessing when you're adding a few more bodies onto that, we really are going into the kind of uh, young and inexperienced uh, lot of players that we've got. Beaton, I think, would come back into that category. But I think Lawrence makes a good point on McCarthy. Uh, you know, I know he's only played three substitute games for Celtic. Uh, if, indeed, Ange Postacoglu decides to rest Tommy Rogic, maybe put some on the bench as a, a you know last 20, 30 minute impact sub then McCarthy could be in for a start his first start for Celtic is that a risk do you think Patrick? I think the fact he's only played three substitute appearances I didn't realise it was as small as that I thought he'd actually came off a wee bit more but uh, that, that I think that would probably be a bit of a risk um, I don't know if I'd trust Beaton at defensive midfield I think I'd actually rather play Liam Shaw if you're going to go with two defensive midfielders because I think Liam Shaw's been more impressive this season than Beaton has. I know he's uh, nowhere near as experienced as near Beaton, but 
Beaton keeps making the mistakes. I, I just don't think you can trust him anymore. Um, I'd, I'd drop Rogic for McCarthy. And if you were playing two defensive midfielders, I probably would drop uh, Turnbull as well. But w- with Tom Rogic, I just don't think that you can... I don't think they can rely on him in Europe. He doesn't quite turn it on the same the same way he does in the domestic games. It's I think with the step up he struggles because he's quite slow. And I think Turnbull's actually quite slow as well, uh, in terms of their pace. Um I think you mentioned Jota earlier. I was relatively impressed impressed with uh, Jota in the first half on Saturday. You know, he was doing all the sort of step overs and skill moves and he had a quite a good first touch and he was crossing it into a Yeti and I don't know if it's just they don't have the partnership yet but it was as if there was no real final ball quality there um, mm. but I, I think I probably would go with a defensive midfielder uh, on Thursday night and I think it probably would be McCarthy I think it's a good shout my own feeling on this and I'm only predicting which you're allowed to do on the podcast um, I'm thinking that he's going to go with McCarthy and McGregor but with Turnbull as a number 10 Yota left, a bad right, and obviously a Yeti through the middle. That's how I think he'll line up. So not as bold as you guys. I think he's going to play safe. But the question would be, and I'm going to bring this in from Terence Pat, who's watching on YouTube. I wouldn't have Sorrow anywhere near the start and 11 or subs coming on. He is a liability, gives away possession and can't tackle. Interestingly, no one mentioned Sorrow when we were talking about bringing someone else in, maybe to be more of a defensive midfielder. What has gone wrong with Sorrow? Lawrence, this season, I mean, when he came in against Lille, he made a, a big impression. He then went on a very good run. I've mentioned this before. He drops out of the Scottish Cup final because of food poisoning. Didn't really get back to that early form. And I don't think we've seen uh, what Sora can do under Ange Postacoglu because, I mean, you know, the appearances have been few and far between. But when he has come into the play, uh, he's breaking it up for all the wrong reasons. He's given away too many fouls. Uh, what what has happened to Sorrow? I mean, last season there was supposed interest from Tottenham Hotspur, but he seems to have, uh, you know, regressed slightly. Yeah, definitely. I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head. Is he's given away too many cheap free kicks, but uh, but it's naive or trying too hard to, to impress. He's just forever giving away cheap free kicks and putting us under pressure. We haven't been the, the best at the defending balls into the box and we can't afford a, a midfielder if, to be given the opposition the, the opportunity to get so many set pieces in a game. No, well, you know, going by past experience of that Celtic defence launch, you really can't be given any kind of free kicks 30, 40 yards out. I remember when we played Hibs at Easter Road, the 2-2 game, when Luxol scored late on and we gave away a free kick and it was about 10 yards inside their own box. And I was worried there. And they scored from uh, the resulting free kick, you know, they, they scored. So, yeah, absolutely. Although I do think we are stronger at the back. What, what about yourself, Patrick? Does that concern you? Because Soro did look like a bit of a find when he came back in. Remember, he comes in, uh, you're looking at his performances and uh, you think, well, him and Turnbull should have been brought in earlier at that stage last season. Yeah, when they both started against Lille, I thought, you know, here's two players that should be playing every single week for the rest of the season because, mm-hmm. you know, the, cre- the creativity in the midfield. I think Brown and Christie were probably the two that were looking to take out and then put Turnbull and Sorrow in. And it was night and day compared to what we'd seen up until that point in the season. I wasn't that big a fan of Sorrow's first touch. I thought his passing was a bit erratic, but, you know, miles ahead of what Brown was offering his last season. And I, I think he, ha- he he probably has regressed a bit since he first came into the side. Um, 
I think Turnbull's just going through a bad bit of form now in comparison. I don't think, I think he's still a really, really top player. Yeah. Um, but with Soro, I, I, you're right what you're saying. It is telling that neither me or Lawrence even considered him for Thursday night. Um, I think when he came on on Saturday, he was, I don't know about giving away free kicks, but there's a few backwards passes that put us in a bit of danger. And I think he's li- liable uh, to that as well. So, yeah, it, it, it's a mystery about what we're going to do with him in the future, but I definitely wouldn't start him on Thursday night. It just shows you, again, um, as well, how, how many players, when a new manager comes in, uh, you know, are totally revitalised. Others, don't, you know, it just doesn't suit them. It's an interesting one. And hope hopefully it's it's something that Ange Postecoglou can solve because I think we've seen enough in his early performances last season to, to say that, you know, we could mould a player out of him. And I hope that is the case. Um, I mean, you look at the the transfer in, of Encham, one of the worst bits of business you can imagine. You know, one one moment you're getting apparently you're you're being offered twelve million pounds from Porto. Um, you know, eighteen months later you're you're actually paying money to get his contract ripped up, and he goes down south and signs with Swansea. And you don't want a situation where we lose a player where the, there definitely is potential there, and I think there is potential in Sorrow. I agree with you on Turnbull. By the way, I would keep playing him. I think he can play his way out of um, this as he has done in the past. You know, he's had a wee dip in form at the beginning of the season. He came back strong. And I think that um, in order for him to prove as well that he can do it at this level, you've got to give him the confidence of a start on Thursday night. Now, when we're looking ahead to that game, um, you know, we thought for a while that Celtic fans would be able to travel to Seville once again and do the club proud over there as we did back in the day in the UEFA Cup final. That was uh, quickly removed from uh, Celtic fans' diary. So we will be tuning in in any way we possibly can on Thursday night. How do you reckon... I mean, we're looking at a situation here, Patrick, where we've gone into the early rounds of Europe with one right back. You know, and we joked months ago, we're going to be starting with Alston at right back. We went into that game with one first-team right back. We went into the game... Um, with you know two centre halves, two centre halves, and then when one of them who is a converted centre half gets sent off, we then have to pull in and give a debut to an eighteen-year-old in Dane Murray, who I thought equipped himself really, really well. And you think to yourself, after the transfer window, we're not going to have such an issue with that. We're going into this game on Thursday night, and we've got one striker. So, you know, it's just the same problem, but in a different area of the pitch. So we're having to play the one striker that we've got fit. Um, if we are able to come through Thursday night uh, with anything, a point, for example, I mean, it's an incredible job Posta Coglu has done, given the circumstances with the personnel, Patrick. I would definitely take a point right now, because I think Betis are a really, really good team. Um, it's funny how this seems to keep on happening. I'm not sure if we're having poor transfer windows or we're just the unluckiest team in the world. Because we had four strikers against Ferenc Varos last season and all four were uh, unable to play. I think three were unfit and one was injured. Uh, so it's it's absolutely phenomenal that this keeps on happening to us. Um, I think earlier on in the season with Mitchell and it was just poor management from the board. You know, you're almost at the end of July and you've only got two centre-halves and one right-back mm-hmm. and you know that two of those three players definitely aren't good enough. Um but yeah, it's it's also quite funny how we were saying, you know, we're going to go into a European campaign with Ralston at right back. How terrible is this? And by the end of that European campaign, he's probably one of our better players, you know? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, 
I, I'm also not a fan of these. So I, I think it's bad communication from the club because you're saying earlier about Beaton. We don't know if that's a new injury. You know, there's been no communication whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And then with Gia Kumakis, I'm just assuming that he's unfit. I don't know if you two know anything, but I, I don't think he's injured. I think he's just not ready to start. Uh, I don't know if that's the case. So, yeah, I'm hoping Magetti is get some newfound confidence after those two goals on Saturday. Yeah, I hope so as well. I mean, give us a wee prediction because I won't be speaking to you guys before Thursday night. Patrick, start me yourself. Um, I'll go for a 2-2. Two, 2 two. each, I'd be happy with that. Uh, and it, it wouldn't surprise me either if we concede a few. But but going forward, with the creativity of Yota and Abada, again, it wouldn't surprise me if, if we did get a 2-2. Two, two. What about yourself, Lawrence? I'm going to go 2-1 Betis. I just think the, the level that they're at, you, you, you know, for where we are as a team, mm. it's just a bit early to be playing someone like that. But missing Kyogre, who, who adds so much more, yeah. and just you know, the centre forward that gives so much energy and inspiration to the team. So yeah, I, I'm going to go two one better. I tell you what, Lawrence has been bold today. We're playing beat on, and he's going for two one better. So I think that's the first time anyone has ever predicted a Celtic defeat on. The Axon Bulletin, Lawrence, so no, no. fair play. I, I predicted last European game away we could beat 2 1. Did you? Aye, we did. Uh, Kissy so. death, right. We'll stop you there. <laughs> um, moving on. John Sweeney actually comes in with a good point. Going back to what we were talking about, guys, if a Yeti gets injured during the match, who plays up front? You're playing someone out of position at this stage. You know, you're, you're, you're basically going to be playing, I would suggest, a badder um, or, you know, Jota. Because both of them can play through the centre. It's not their preferred uh, positions. Yota answered that question at the press conference, didn't he? Um, they, they've played there for the previous clubs. So you're playing somebody at a position, John. And for example, if it's a badder, who do you play on the right? You know, there, there's the next question. Um, if it's Yota, who do you play on the left? Because we're thin on the... So basically, it's, it's an issue that just moves around the park. You know, you've got an issue up front. If a Yeti pulls up for any reason you've then got an issue at the right-hand side because we don't know, again, communication, Patrick, we don't know when Forrest is coming back, you know, and behind him you've got Dembele, who was looking promising in pre-season, but he had an absolute shocking challenge against them against uh, Bristol, wasn't it? Bristol City. So, yeah. um, and I think they've done his ankle. So uh, on the left-hand side, if, if Yota isn't playing there now that uh, Christie's away, who plays out left? You know, because Johnson's not back. So, yeah, it is going to be a big concern, John. And I think it also shows, you know, it was a decent enough transfer window, but the manager must have been looking at that thinking, I'm, I'm at least another two or three players short. It would have been difficult. It's going to be hard to to bring 12 players into a squad. But, you know, it would have been a lot more difficult if it was 15. But I still think we're short without any shadow of a doubt. A few other things to discuss before we move on to the board. Um, because there are some boardroom discussions we're going to have to have today. Daniel Mack agrees two-two, and I actually think it would be a good, uh, a good, uh, a good draw for Celtic to go over there. You know, because once uh, Kyogo comes back, we're a completely different beast altogether. Kevin Graham, uh, Kevin visited us yesterday in the studio. He ended up driving about in a chopper. These are the things that happen in a state of mind. I'm not going to tell you why, but you will see the, you will see it. Paddy, you you are a witness to that. Um, <laughs> Kevin Graham comes in to say the Jaffa cake thing. Does that mean Rangers are the only the Rangers for tax purposes? I've no idea what you're talking about, Kev. But uh, I thought Jaffa I would bring you in anyway. Cakes and biscuits and stuff, mate. Different tax. <sighs> you know, they're, they're, they're cake only in name, Lawrence, if you want to bring that debate into... Think? Oh, yeah. 
Do they, do they go hard when they go off? Do you dip, do you dip them in your tea? Do you dip them in I your tea? I don't drink tea, mate. So oh, see, you can you trust somebody that doesn't drink tea, Patrick? I'm worried about you. We're getting beat 2-1. Beaton's playing and you didn't drink tea. We need to move on. <laughs> uh, we mentioned Craig Bellamy. Obviously, Craig Bellamy had uh, a short spell at Celtic under Martin O'Neill. He came in and he made a big impression, didn't he? I mean, we won the Scottish Cup in O'Neill's final game in charge, won nothing against Dundee United. There's the, the famous hat-trick against Dundee United at Tanadice. Um, he relished playing against Rangers. He's one of these players, Lawrence, that Celtic fans took to our heart. Is that because there was a, a rebellious nature to Bellamy throughout his career. We kind of like take to players like that often. I mean, we were talking about um, Johnny Doyle last week with Paul McQuaid. We like people who are rough scallions and he had a wee bit of that about him, didn't he? Definitely. But, you know, it's probably more his goals, let's be honest. Yeah, you know, especially that hat-trick. top draw, was it? Mm. It was absolutely top draw. Uh, shame we couldn't keep him, but, but that was another season we, we needed a rebuild, wasn't it? Uh, mm. That's why yeah. we couldn't keep him. Yeah. It was either spend all the money in Bellamy or... This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Let's take a moment and think about the things you love. It could be stuff like vintage vinyl, stylish sunglasses, or your exotic fish collection. Whatever your passion is, the new Multiply the Cash Scratchers from DC Lottery gives you a chance to multiply your cash by 5, 10, 25, or even 100 times and enjoy a lot more of the stuff that makes you, you. Multiply the Cash Scratchers from DC Lottery. If you love it, multiply it. Please play responsibly. Rebuild. You're spot on. Aye. So... Much the same. Uh, owners, <laughs> is, the end, is that a recurring theme? It's a good point, know? actually, yeah. Aye. You know, you so know. We, we had someone that would have stayed, was absolutely top quality, and yeah, we had to let him go because our squad was so threatening again. You know, it's an excellent point because it is going to lead into the, the wider discussion maybe in the last 15 minutes of the show where we talk about the board and where we are with the board and, uh, you know, after the departure of Dominic Mackay. But, Reading Gordon Strachan's book, he talks about the situation where he comes in and he has the option to buy Craig Bellamy, just like you say, Lawrence, um, who had obviously played previously uh, with Gordon Strachan at Coventry City. And Gordon Strachan wanted to pair up Craig Bellamy with John Hartson because they had played together at Coventry. There was an understanding and he liked that idea of having those two guys up front. And quite frankly, looking back, no wonder. I mean, what a great partnership that, that would have been. Uh, Bellamy would have done all the running, uh, but, you know, there would have been a good partnership. But he was faced with a dilemma. And a lot of people look at that point of O'Neill's departure and Strachan coming in um, as a massive downsizing. And you look at the players that Martin O'Neill had brought in, massive transfer fees, but also massive, massive wages. I mean, even players like, you know, Steve Guppy coming in from Leicester was on a big wage. Uh, Magnus Hedman, huge wages uh, when he came to the club, uh, when we brought him in as well. So we, we had put the, the wage bill through the roof and one of the the jobs Strachan had was to bring that back down. So we had this dilemma where he could buy Bellamy or he could go out and buy three players. And the three players they eventually decided to buy, as much as he loved Bellamy, 
was Magic Zuraski, um, a guy called Nakamura, I think it was, and Arthur Boric, who initially came in alone, and then, you know, the loan deal was made permanent. So he had to wheel and deal, if you like, and then slowly but surely, a lot of the big earners were phased out under Gordon Strachan, you know, Chris Sutton, Neil Lennon eventually, John Hartson, Alan Thompson. So a lot of the big earners were, were pushed out. But it was unfortunate because I would have liked to have seen, Patrick, um, a full season with Craig Bellamy, you know, firing on all cylinders at Celtic Park. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I'm not old enough to remember Craig Bellamy, unfortunately, but I've heard that he totally dragged us in that 2004-05 season because obviously Larson left for Barcelona and that he was basically the striker that was left to score all the goals that Larson, Larson couldn't anymore. Um, and very unfortunate last day of the season, last three or four minutes of the season, we lose the league that season. Um, I think, as you were saying there, obviously Strachan fancied doing his own thing, uh, bringing in three other players instead of Bellamy, and at least two of them were massive successes. I know Zavarsky uh, scored a few couple of goals, but Nakamura and Boric, you know, uh, club heroes, uh, go down in history, remembered forever as fan favourites. Um, but yeah, uh, sometimes it's just not, not meant to be. It's like Patrick Roberts, he, he comes in, does well on a loan, obviously doesn't fancy coming here permanently, or the club don't really fancy bringing him in, and it's just, you, you wonder what could have been, but sometimes yeah. you've got to be fond of the memories that you've got instead of, sort of wishing what could have happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a point during that transfer window where I would have taken Boric and Nakamura back, Patrick, at the age of 42, <laughs> combined age of 84, um, for the European campaign. Now, the thing, the reason we're talking about Craig Bellamy, and by the way, I've got to mention as well that he gave us a lovely message at Christmas time when we were doing the charity weekend. Um, he'd been over working at, at Anderlecht um, because obviously he followed his ex-teammate over there and he was coaching over at Anderlecht and um, he's taken a step away from football to deal with his depression. Uh, so it's always uh, important to raise awareness at all times. So we're talking about uh, Craig Bellamy in that respect, as well as being a fantastic footballer back in the day with Celtic and many other top clubs, including Newcastle and Liverpool. And uh, Coventry before that, who you'll not remember it, Patrick, but they were a top club as well. Coventry City were in the top league for a record amount of unbroken years before they were relegated. And once they were relegated, they were one of these clubs, Lawrence, that just... You know, they fell into that that system in English football where you can fall away. I mean, growing up, Luton Town were always in the top league when I was growing up. Sheffield Wednesday were always in the they, top league. Leeds United. The Coventry first team of Shadow Strike, wasn't it? The Shadow Strike Strips won the That's cup. right. Yeah, uh-huh. Hummel. Did they were? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Team. Keith Houchin scored that day and they're up playing for Hibs anyway we're boring Patrick because <laughs> he's from a, gen- a different generation right um, but we bring up the, the story of, of Craig Bellin because it's, it's something that you've always got to try and raise awareness of mental health issues of any uh, way shape or form have to be uh, spoken about and I think that it's it's High time we did bring it up again on the on the broadcast because you think about the last couple of weeks that uh, certain people have endured in terms of online bullying and, and harassment and the effect that it's had on them. Um, very, very close to uh, Axom as well. So you've got to put a stop to this when you see it happen. You know, I've seen it myself. Interestingly enough, a few weeks ago, I was getting a, a, a rare old time of it from an individual. And, and when I looked at his fellow Celtic fan, his um, Twitter profile, he was he was constantly going on about mental health 
and I'm thinking to myself, but you're targeting me. I mean, it didn't bother me personally, but he's targeting me and all the usual stuff came out. And I'm thinking to myself, a lot of people, uh, it's not just about putting it on a, a tweet because it looks good. You've really got to uh, be an advocate of mental health awareness and call it out when somebody is getting online bullying uh, and harassment because it's totally unacceptable. Um, you know, you've just got to, to look at the way that, that people react because someone's on a screen. They think, well, this isn't going to affect them. I can say or do whatever I like. It doesn't affect and I'm not talking about us per se, uh, but just in general. So Craig Bellamy is suffering depression and he's fighting that. So we wish him all the very best uh, because he was a, a big big player for Celtic back in the day. I loved watching him. And he's given us best wishes when we needed them and we're going to give him the best wishes when he's requiring them as well. Now, Lawrence, we're going to go even further back in time. So, Patrick, you know, stay with us, mate. Stay with <laughs> us. Barrafield. Barrafield was one of these almost mythical places where the Lisbon Lions trained and, and everything else. I mean, the history of that place goes back to 1965, actually. Um, it was used as a junior it was used as a junior Waverley, park. Was it? Sorry? Was it Brighton Waverley or something? I'm not sure who it was that played there, Lawrence, but Jock Steen it was actually who came up with the idea of adopting it as a training facility back in the day. Um, and you see the old pictures of the training facility in inverted commas back in the day. It was a mud pit. It was a quagmire and uh, of, of muck and, and various other things. And people have told us, Frank McGarvey's told us that there used to be like a scrappies next next to it. <laughs> and um, he was a Rangers fan. So when Celtic were training, he would burn things like big tyres and make, you know, so that the, the smoke and all that would bellow over to Barrafield and put the players off. Bizarre. Um, Ajax were offered the training facilities in the early 80s. And Johan Cruyff thought that Celtic were at the wind-up when they turned up to train at Barrafield training complex because it was so bad. Um, but, you know, the Lisbon Lions won the, the European Cup training on uh, Barrafield and David Proven once said they won it in spite of the training facilities. So there's the a wee checkered history of Barrafield. It's now um, going to be redeveloped. So planning permission has been granted uh, by Glasgow City Council in relation to the changing facilities, an indoor gym at this moment in time. There's also a pending application for an indoor training facility. Now, this is something that, you know, we thought we were leaving Barrafield behind back in the day, Lawrence, when, you know, Lennox Town was unveiled uh, back in 2007, it was now, unveiled up there. Do you think that Lennox Town has been the success we thought it was going to be? I mean, obviously, Barrafield can be used as a training facility by, for example, the ladies' team or the Colts' team, as well as when required by the first team. But has Lennox Town been a success? Well, I thought we were leaving Barrafield before before that. When McCann left and he, he promised the money, he said, look, Celtic will give you the money. Yep. You know, what was it, 50% he was going to match, just build the facility and... And obviously, the board let that come and go without the little too late to take advantage of McCann's offer. Has Lennonstown been a success? Well, it's already dated. We don't have an indoor pitch, do we? Yeah. And I'm not saying for a minute that Barrafield's replacing Lennonstown. I'm just saying that obviously Lennonstown was us moving away, apparently, from the Barrafield complex. Um, but there has been quite a few complaints up there about particularly the indoor pitch. You know, we. It's already dated. I think that's one of the things Angie has come in and said, you know, we need an indoor pitch. We need proper facilities where we can train all year round. Uh, I think the, 
anything happening up there, especially in the winter. You know, it's fairly cold. I don't know if it, but if it's much colder than Barrafield, but Barrafield being lowered down, or you know, right next to the river, it, you think it'd be the ground would be a bit softer than up there. The players we've had through, have we had enough through? You know, since we've had Lennox down since two thousand and seven. I mean, it's a debate. It's a debate you could have, to be fair. That's why we're spending the money, you know, obviously first-team training, but you you want to be bringing your youngsters through as well, aren't you? Yep. Uh, I think we're hoping for a lot more. You know, we're we're hoping for a a conveyor belt, shall we say, Mm -hmm. and it's uh, maybe Andrew's the man to to kind of get that conveyor belt. Because we've we've talked about, you know, with the death of the reserve league of the under-23s, under-21s, whatever you call it, we're now trying the Colts, which for to me is too low a level. There's definitely been a gap between you know under 18s and first team and how we bleed them in. Maybe yeah. Ange is the man to do that. Yeah, you, you need a manager that's going to give youth its chance, don't you? And especially games like Ross County, Patrick touched it. You know, Montgomery could have been playing at left back, but that's a game that maybe under Ange will see more and more youngsters coming into the team. Yeah. Whether that's because we've been lacking squad numbers. Uh, but it comes with the reputation of developing youngsters, so hopefully we see that this season. He does, and I think that also comes in if you're thinking about the um, the bigger picture that Angel will be looking at. Uh, Patrick, he's mentioned any time he's asked about you know his coaching staff, he always comes away and says he's happy with them. He's not going to tell us publicly if he, if it wasn't anyway. But what he has underlined is the fact that he does need other staff, and he's talking about what I guess are now deemed as normal. Um, positions at a football club when you're looking at data analysis and sports science and he's talking about that side of the game uh, and as well as the staff you need the facilities you need the facilities in order for them to undertake the, those roles as well so it would be great to have uh, an additional facility there but when you're seeing for example Leicester City unveiling their new training complex and it looks like a different world to what we've got um, I still think that it's something that we are miles away in terms of a modern football club having the best facilities possible to rear your talent, but also to develop the players that you've already got. I mean, back in the day, you know, we, did we even show players like Paolo Di Canio and George Cadet Barrafield? Did we show them? Well, I think we showed them the coming oxygen. from AC Milan. I will show you Barrafield. I think we showed them the oxygen chamber. <laughs> The Brian Scott got, if you remember, that was the splash of the view, was it? We've got an oxygen chamber to That's right. recovery. Yep. Wonder where that is. Probably still using it. Interesting. Um, so, so Patrick, I mean, where are we in, as a club when it comes to, to the facilities, the training complex? Because I know that it's a different world in terms of finance down south. And you look at the Man City training complex, it's just unbelievable. But, you know, Leicester City have, have un- unveiled something of absolute beauty. And you think to yourself, wow, how can we keep a manager like Brendan Rodgers when they're offering you that? How can we keep a player like Ozan Edward? Or, you know, people criticise Brentford, but just have a look at the football club. Look at where they're going. And Ayer, you know, is looking at that and thinking, well, that's a lot better than what I've got up the road in Glasgow there. So that frustrates me because there's a much bigger picture here, isn't there? 100%. And what Lawrence said about five minutes ago, that's the first time I've heard that, that... Fergus McCann was willing to front up 50% for a new training facility and the Celtic board never took it up. I've, I've never heard that before. Uh, so it just shows you how slow we, how slow we were to act even back then, uh, 20-odd years ago. Um, yeah, I think 
if we're going to use Barrafield, it's definitely in need of an upgrade. It'll be interesting to see if the upgrade happens because obviously we get planning permission from Glasgow City Council for the hotel and the museum and we only had plan- planning permission for three years and it's since expired. So we got that permission and then just didn't bother to use it. So hopefully we'll actually follow through with this uh, and redevelop it. I think it's mainly for the women's team and the, the junior teams, but yeah, certainly need of an upgrade. And uh, what you're saying there about an indoor pitch, I think if, you know, Angie's probably the best person to consult on that. If, you know, I've seen other teams, certainly Premier League teams, and as you say with Leicester, they've got an indoor pitch. It helps in the cold weather. And I don't think it'd be a surprise to anyone to find out that we are uh, lacking in the, the football analysis department. That, you know, I think we had that, um, we had a young guy who Brendan brought in. Mm. He was running his own blog while sitting in the stands as a university student. Brendan yep. brought him in and then Brendan took, took him away again to Leicester because he was so impressive. And I think we were more than happy to let him go. So it just shows you, I think we probably actually undervalue that part of the football football world. Um, so I think the board and the people running the club need to graph the importance of it first and then we can actually look to start upgrading it. Well, I, I think back to the... Well, that's always been the big criticism, isn't it? The indoor facility uh, up the road. And I'm going to bring this point in from Johnny Ryan, who's commenting on YouTube. Still waiting for Lennox Town to be renamed after Tommy Burns. 100%. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why that's even a question. That that needs to happen. Um, but I remember, if you're talking about uh, Lennox Town, and uh, that was unveiled in October 2007. Let's have a wee look at um, the comparison down south. So a year later, September 2008, um, Manchester City paid £32.5 million for Rubinho. Remember him? Bought from Real Madrid. Um, he didn't like training in the cold. He didn't fancy it because, you know, he's, he's from sunnier climes. So Man City built an indoor facility because Rubinho didn't like training outside. That's a true story. You know, and when you're looking at that situation, um, at that stage, you know, we're building Lennox Town with something that looks like a gym hall as an indoor training facility. And a club like Man City, who, to be fair, had just been taken over and that millions and hundreds of millions had been pumped into them around about that time. In fact, they came in, the new owners came in on a day Rubinho signed, but it really is a comparison and we need to improve what we've got. I think that's the big point. We need to improve what we've got because otherwise we're going to be left standing. You're looking at that facility down at Leicester and it's embarrassing when you compare it to to what we've got. It really is embarrassing. And um, again, it feeds in, Lawrence, to the youth development as well. But see the uh, obviously it's the gym, the modular gym I've got in the, in change of facilities we've got. So that will just be moving the gym out of the main stand at Celtic Park. You, you know that's what we'll be replacing there. So, as the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. You'd like to think it's going to be a, a huge improvement, mm-hmm. which, you know, an indoor pitch would be. But I think, you know, we're just going to be moving the gym out of Celtic Park, really, aren't we? That, that, it no longer have. Maybe you used to go down and you'd see the players kind of running up, maybe stopping in the Belvedere Cafe. Or, For <laughs> a square sausage roll before I, training at Barrafield. Or in between, going back to get changed, they'd <laughs> stop it in there, grab that, then run up and get changed. Some of them would drive up and down, but uh, most of them kind of would just run the distance to Celtic. 
part to get changed. It reminds me of the story that um, Evan Williams told in relation to his first day of training at Celtic, where he walks up, they get changed at Celtic Park, they're walking up London Road, and John Hughes and Tommy Gemmell convinces them that on their walk up, they always go in and buy a couple of rolls and sausage. So Evan Williams does that, <laughs> and he scoffs them on the way up to training. And uh, obviously they're just winding him up. And then he gets absolutely beasted at training and he's spewing up all over the place. But uh, welcome to Celtic, Evan. So we've, we've spoken about some aspects of the club. We're looking forward to Thursday night, Patrick. But there are still a lot of questions to be answered, certainly asked. I don't know if they're going to be answered. Uh, in and around the inner workings of the club at the moment. And my big concern, people... Um, are focusing on the football and I get that but my big concern is we've got a board in place at the moment those decision makers that um, and we could go as far back Lawrence as Martin O'Neill and Brendan Rodgers but in the near past they basically presided over uh, a situation with Neil Lennon that dragged on for months and months possibly half a year far too long without making a decision they then presided over the debacle that was Eddie Howe dragging on and then not getting the deal done and then bringing in a CEO who's lasted just over 70, 70 days, Patrick. I mean, how much confidence do you have at this moment in time that we are being run properly by the, the correct people? Uh, none at all uh, is a short answer. Um, it's just occurred to me there when you mentioned Neil Lennon. The, the, the board have actually been quicker to, and you know, none of this is confirmed, uh, but they've, they've actually been quicker to drive Dominic Mackay out than what they were to sack Neil Lennon and hire a new manager. Because, of course, it took us about 106 days to hire a new manager. You're saying there that they managed to get rid of Dom McKay in 70 days. Um, you know, if if new CEOs are coming in and they can't even last three months working with people like Ian Bankier and Brian Wilson and Dermot Desmond, then we're in a hell of a situation because it, at the absolute least, they all have to work together as a team and have a coherent strategy for how they want the club to be run. And I just don't think, you know, there, there are people there that have been there for 10, 15 years. There's no way that they're the best suited people for that job. And I think there needs to be a massive overhaul in the boardroom. See, that's an interesting point you make there about the management situation. Um, but they were very, very quick uh, in the decision around Dominic Mackay. The, the big question, I guess, Lawrence, is, um, you know, with regards to that position, you're going to be looking at that. If you are a forward-thinking visionary, someone who wants to modernise the football club that you're joining, and you look at what's happened to Dominic Mackay, who was all about modernisation, he was all about engagement, communication, um, and you see what's happened there and you realise that perhaps, let's say it was an oval peg in a, a round hole uh, in his case, but perhaps they are going to be resistant to that change. It's going to put a lot of these prime candidates off, surely. And then you're you're left with an internal um, you know, promotion uh, or shifting of the deck chairs and nothing changes. Yeah, I mean you know, I suppose sporting CEOs in, in Scotland are but there's not many. You'd get a good tra- track record at SRU. It's obviously a big announcement by Celtic. So it, it, anyone that Celtic could be targeting for the job now will be aware of just how short the last guy lasted and what a good track record he had before. Yeah, you'd expect him to reach out to Tom and say, like, Tom, what can you tell me here? Whether it's off the record or not, you know, what actually went wrong here? 
you know, Celtic's on record saying we, we need to get a new structure in. I don't know how long we've been getting a new structure in for now. Yeah, you know, no head of recruitment through a transfer window. Why would you need one in a transfer window? No director of football. I don't know if we're still going to do a director of football. Maybe what changes with the wind, but it could come down to what purpose do these positions serve us? What purpose is the board serving? You know, it seemed to be the, the Dermot Peter show just straight to Dermot to tell Peter what to do. And, and that's how things were getting run. So what what purpose is the board serving us? If obviously we lost uh, Ivan Tory, you know, <laughs> he was in the building, but we got Albion Ayeti and well, hopefully he has scored two goals and hopefully he continues but Lawrence is on the wind up today Patrick he's now bringing up Ivan Tony again I'm just waiting for John McGinn for a full house <laughs> another one you know phone in Celtic Park before he you know when he's down in, in Birmingham trying to get the, the, the deal resurrected try to join his boyhood heroes but I don't believe the phones were, were working at Celtic Park or, or anyone was answering them yeah it's more or less the same people we talked about this last season. There's no point changing a manager if the structure remains the same. It's like putting a new front door in a house that's that's fallen down. Mm. You, you wouldn't do it because you're not addressing the issues you've got. So largely we've kind of come through a, a really poor season, a disappointing season. We've got a new manager in. Looks as if we'd started the structural changes. Uh, but then we thought, oh, actually, we don't fancy these structural changes. Would be the, the rumours, you know. Uh, that's a bit radical, you know. Modernise, yeah. That seems a bit of trouble. We've got a manager, and it looks like he knows what he's doing. Maybe I'll just keep the fans happy. Well, you know, I'm going back on uh, the subject we we're talking about in relation to the underinvestment uh, of the training facilities. Yeah, we know that Celtic are working in a different field. Uh, field field, sphere, world um, than clubs down south, but we still don't have good enough facilities based on our income and the success over the years. So if you think about Barrafield, 1965, right? And then Lennox Town, 2007. A takeover in 1994, and we were still using Barrafield until 2007 even though in 12 years from 1964 to 1976, Celtic reached at least the final stage of European competition on nine out of 12 occasions. And you think that Barrafield was good enough up until 2007. Absolute joke of an opinion to think that we invested properly in the facilities at Celtic Park, even post-McCann. And in 2007, up until uh, this point, it's become pretty clear that even Lennox Town needs to be improved. So, you know, it wasn't a comparison between Celtic and English clubs. It was a comparison between the facilities we've got and the facilities we should have. And only now um, are we looking at Lennox Town all these years later, you know, 14 years later, almost 15 years later to say, maybe it's not a good enough facility. Well, our strategy is obviously to develop this because we can't afford to compete with uh, anyone in the EPL for players to do that you're going to need better facilities mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's like listen here's the strategy we're going to try and develop our own players but we're going to make it even harder what we're going to do is not invest in the facilities for them it's a, a minimal investment it would appear you know someone else was asking coherent. someone else was asking about modernisation isn't that modernisation isn't training facilities, isn't that part of a, you know, modernisation of a football club? Um, we will never know the the full story in relation to Dominic Mackay and what the proposals proposals were to the club in terms of his vision. I mean, was he wanting to 
to implement a, a strategy whereby we did have a modern facility where we could rear our own uh, launch as well as develop those at the club. But I'm now looking at a point that was made just the other day on the bulletin and a very good point indeed in relation to the most important person at the moment at the club being Ange Postacoglu, and I absolutely agree with that. There's been comparisons made, again, Patrick, you're going to have to check out the Celtic wiki as we're talking here <laughs> before your time. Comparisons made about the Vim Janssen season in relation to the fact that we had a lot of players on the way out. We've lost big, big players this season. Um, we've got a manager with no prior connection to the club coming in. Um, didn't he come from Japanese football as well, Vim Janssen? Yep. Yeah, there you go. Um, so there were comparisons made there we lost two of our first four league games etc etc the big comparison I don't want to be making is that Ange Postacoglu only lasts a season that's the big one that I don't want to be making Uh, but I have said Patrick that I think he's now in a stronger position because the boards are in no state to be um, annoying the Celtic fans anymore with the departure of someone like Ange Postacoglu and he should be actually going to them and saying you know, here are my demands in relation to staff that were spoken about. And in January, this is what I'm expecting. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's. I think he probably does think he's in quite a strong position. I, I wonder how strong that actually is, if I'm being honest, because, you know, it's a, it would be an absolute unmitigated disaster if he was to walk away. He is like the one saving grace at the moment, apart from a few of the key players that we've brought in. But if he, if he was to walk or if he was to leave the club in some way, there would be massive fan, uh, uh, negative fan reaction. But it, it, I'm not even sure what that achieves anymore because we had protests outside the stadium last year and then at the AGM, a week or two later, the board all get 99% uh, endorsement from the shareholders. So I'm not actually sure what, what the solution is here anymore because they seem to just sort of get away with anything that they do. You know, um, but yeah, I mean, there there weren't fans in the stadium last season. If if Andrew was to leave uh, because of the board in any way, I think they would really really struggle to sell season tickets, and I think revenues would go down. And you know, we could we could be looking at a very very bad situation. So they they, they absolutely have to back the manager because he's he's the one saving grace at the moment. Yeah, absolutely, um, Lawrence. Uh, we go back to the takeover of the 1990s. Um, and the roots of that change were years before. You know, they were they were basically based around a board of directors who in many ways were Celtic fans. I mean, they'd been born into uh, the running of the club. Uh, there was a dynasty of families who ran Celtic Football Club, but they were incompetent when it came to the modernisation of football back then. We're now at a stage where Celtic again... Um, need to modernise in a different way. It's not so much that we need a full uh, all-seater stadium, etc. That's the position they were in back then. They couldn't raise the capital. They came away with uh, various uh, schemes, canvas uh, lying and all this kind of stuff. Was it, was it Gefgor or Gefgor or something? I, I, yeah, and did they exist? Because um, they hadn't heard the Celtic. Bizarre days, bizarre days. But there, there are some similarities in that we do need modernisation as a football club. Um, fans are unhappy with the, the current incumbents in terms of the boardroom for different reasons than we were back in the day. Um, do you see the roots here a change? Do you see the roots to change at Celtic Park? Do you think that there will be change? And it certainly isn't going to be something that happens in the next season or so. But, you know, the, the, the issues that happened at Celtic before 
the roots of that were a good, you know, six, seven years beforehand, weren't they? There appeared to be, uh, even from the board, there appeared to be, you know, bringing in Dom, there appeared to be a realisation that change was needed. Mm-hmm. You know, so I suppose that... The old board the old board did that with Terry Cassidy. <laughs> General manager. For fresh ideas to modernise yeah. the club. Uh, so I suppose that they realised they've got a problem. Uh whether they realise they are the problem or part of the problem is maybe that's what they didn't like. That you know, when I've said, well, actually, part of the problems the way you specifically are behaving and doing things, uh, and maybe that's what they don't like. It's been a bit hard for them to hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Patrick's right. You know, where are we going to go for change? How can we affect it? We've got a billionaire who owns the the largest amount of shares, not majority shareholder. Are we looking like you know? Are we Someone coming in to replace him. So you know, right Celtic fan that's saying, "Well, look, I want to take on things and change things because right now there seems to be been a period since I'd say since Martin O'Neill of, of downgrading. Mm. You know, and that goes back quite some time with, uh, with one anomaly being Brennan Rogers. Yeah, but you know, Strachan done a brilliant job as manager, but he didn't have to come in and more than half the wage bill and. Two last sixteens, maybe that's been a board's looking and going. We just need another Gordon Strack, and it can half the wage bill and, and get its further in Europe and progress further in Europe. Maybe it's, that's why he's back at the club. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe the thought. Listen, we'll ask Gordon. Oh, don't, don't, don't go any further with that conversation, <laughs> Lawrence. Right? Because I know, I know what's coming. I know what's coming. One final point, and it's a good one, and it's on Twitch. So thanks for joining us on Twitch. The board know they can do what they want. Full house at European game when it should have been free is a goodwill gesture. Told them that. Goes back to what you say, uh, Patrick. You know, at the AGM, you know, every, everything's fine. Yeah, you know, continue as you're as you're doing a great job. Um, no, you're absolutely right. Testing times off the park. Hopefully, uh, on the park, we can forget all about this on Thursday night, and we will get a result. Um, as Patrick suggests, we bring something back to Glasgow. It's been an absolute pleasure once again uh, for a new look Tuesday bulletin today with Patrick McGill and Lawrence Conley. Thanks everybody for joining us. If you're watching on YouTube, remember to subscribe and click the notifications bell. There's loads of prizes being given away on a monthly basis. You can even come in and pick your prize up at the studio here in Dalkeith. Lawrence, some of us will be going down to London for the awards ceremony. We are five times nominated all over. Um, One-time winner. Hopefully that will be multi-award winning come the the 13th or 14th of October, whenever the award ceremony takes place. Um, But yeah, we'll be flying the flag for Celtic fans and and hopefully we'll come back up the road with another trophy, Lawrence. Yeah, well, I'm hoping for three, mate. Not last season, but uh, the four previous seasons we kind of used to having three trophies as Celtic fans. So yeah. be nice for us to get the show back you know, and, and get three and you know hopefully Ange's listening and thinking if the, the Axon boys can get three let's see what I can get my team to do a double treble I can do that right thanks everybody for joining us come back tune in tomorrow at 12.30 for Celtic State of Mind
As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. At Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at DiscountTire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.